Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes. You're listening to the book summary presentation of Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by Adam Grant. Narrated by Larry G. Jones. All human beings want a sense of security. We tend to choose the path of least resistance and tell ourselves that we know how the world works. Yet, to succeed in a complex, dynamic world, we need to grapple with the unknowns and continually update our knowledge. This book is about improving your mental agility and the ability to rethink so you can improve your problem-solving capacity and increase your levels of success and happiness in life. Most people simply accept information at face value without validating the source or testing the facts themselves. In fact, we tend to defend our own views vehemently and reject conflicting ideas. Yet, our first instincts are often wrong. Students who reconsider their multiple-choice answers during an exam are more likely to change from an incorrect answer to a correct one than vice versa. Even widely held truths can be incorrect. For example, people believed for centuries that the Earth is flat, when we now have evidence that it's not. Over the years, Adam Grant studied many thought leaders and conducted his own experiments to learn how to rethink more effectively. In this summary, we'll be presenting the insights in three parts. Individual rethinking, interpersonal rethinking, and collective rethinking. Let's dive right in. Part 1. Individual Rethinking Open your mind and update your views. Human knowledge keeps evolving. What we accept as fact today could very well be disproved in future. Make rethinking a habit to continually sharpen your thinking and update your views. It's easier to notice others' rigid thinking than our own. Flawed perspectives are perpetuated by two types of psychological biases. The confirmation bias, where we see what we expect to see, and the desirability bias, where we see what we want to see. Because of these biases, we tend to be overly confident that our views and beliefs are the right ones, and we keep validating them in a vicious cycle of overconfidence. To break the cycle, you need to switch your mindset, become humble and curious, assume that you may be wrong, and deliberately seek out alternative views and approaches. In a study, entrepreneurs who adopted a scientific approach earned 40 times more than those who didn't. They tested their assumptions, learned what worked or didn't work, and rapidly pivoted to arrive at more effective solutions. 
Grant found that successful election forecasters updated their predictions about twice as often as average forecasters. They actively gathered new information and used it to update their beliefs and assumptions. Learn to think like a scientist, not a preacher, prosecutor, or politician. When you're in the preacher mode, you stick to one correct viewpoint and act from faith instead of hard facts or evidence. When you're in prosecutor mode, you attack others' arguments and refuse to admit your mistakes. When you're in the politician mode, you change your views to suit the circumstances. Thinking like a scientist is about being actively open-minded, that is, you intentionally challenge your assumptions, knowledge, instincts, and habits instead of clinging to them. Treat your opinion as a hunch or hypothesis and test it using real-world data or experiments. Seek out conflicting information that challenges your views or assumptions. Interact with people who stimulate your thinking, even if you disagree with their views. Use experiments to test different ideas and methods to continually refine and sharpen your thinking and approach. Confidence is not the same as competence. Studies have found people to consistently overrate their own abilities and performance compared to others. We're the most likely to be overconfident when we have just a little knowledge about something, but not enough to realize how much we don't know. This is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. On the other hand, the imposter syndrome occurs when we believe that we're less qualified or capable than others think we are. This can be helpful if it motivates you to work harder, rethink your strategy and tools, and to become more open to learning. However, at the extreme, you can become paralyzed by doubt. The sweet spot of confidence lies in confident humility, that is, you're confident of attaining a goal in the future, but are humble about your existing tools and methods. This allows you to concurrently pursue new insights and challenge old knowledge. Be willing to admit what you don't know, question your solutions and tools, and seek out information that contradicts your views. To prevent overconfidence, Pause regularly to consider how well you can explain a subject or issue. When you feel unsure about yourself, focus on your capacity to learn and reframe the situation as an opportunity to grow. Most of us naturally shut down or become defensive when our core beliefs or self-identity are challenged. We get so attached to certain concepts, beliefs, or ideologies that we refuse to acknowledge that we may be wrong. Don't confuse what you want or expect with what is, and don't allow your past self to define your present and future selves. Instead of clinging to fixed beliefs or opinions, allow your self-identity to be defined by your values such as fairness, excellence, or generosity. These can be expressed in any number of ways. Embrace mistakes as an essential part of progress. Each wrong answer is actually a step toward getting the right answer. 
So, challenge yourself to fail as quickly as possible so you can arrive faster at a viable solution or answer. Use conflicting data as a source of new insights, have the courage to admit mistakes, and learn to laugh at yourself. Likewise, conflict isn't always bad. In fact, suppressed conflict can build up over time to lead to resentment. High-performing teams tend to have low-relationship conflict but high-task conflict. Relationship conflict refers to personal, emotional clashes that cause defensiveness and animosity. People clamp up, making it harder to engage in open debate or exploration. Task conflict refers to clashes in views or approach for a specific task. It encourages people to examine gaps in their thinking so they can advance a project without hurting their relationships. However, task conflict can escalate into relationship conflict if it's not properly managed. Constructive debate should be intense and vigorous without being hostile or combative. Leverage constructive conflict and invite others to challenge your thinking. Build a challenge network of critics who will challenge you. Look for givers, that is, people who point out problems because they care and wish to add value, not because they want to protect their ego and make themselves look good. Frame disputes as debates, not disagreements, to signal that you're open to alternatives. You can also institutionalize rethinking in your organization. For example, Google X has an independent team to rapidly evaluate each proposal and filter out only the bold but achievable ones. You can rethink anything, including your future. Ditch the 10-year plans and give yourself the flexibility to rethink and rechart your path as you learn and grow. Indeed, your goals, interests, and priorities will change over time. There's no point sticking to your past identity or justifying your past decisions. We also make assumptions about what would make us happy. If evidence suggests that your assumptions were wrong, then there's no point continuing down an unfulfilling path. Beware of identity foreclosure, that is, prematurely deciding on an identity, then forcing yourself into that mold. Just because you love to read doesn't mean you'll thrive as an English teacher. Just because you love science doesn't mean you should be a scientist or an inventor. Do a life checkup one to two times a year to assess if your current path still matches your evolving goals, values, and aspirations. If you want to make a career shift but don't know what to do, start by looking at what others do daily. Form hypotheses about the career options that may match your skills, interests, and values. Then, test the hypothesis by interviewing people in those fields or volunteering for specific projects. To become happier, don't try to pursue happiness directly. Instead, focus on what you do with your time. When you increase your levels of contribution and connection, you'll naturally feel happier. Make time to reflect, think, and learn. 
ask your challenge network to suggest topics, opinions, or ideas that you should rethink. Before you move into a new phase of life, for example, getting married or becoming a parent, speak with people who have already been through it to find out what they wish they had known in advance. We've just explored how to cultivate individual thinking by becoming actively open-minded, confidently humble, embracing mistakes, leveraging constructive conflict, and constantly rethinking your future. Now, let's move into Part 2, Interpersonal Rethinking. This is about opening others' minds and getting them to rethink. To do so, you must treat debates as dances, not battles. Master the art of prejudice and motivating change. Researchers found several differences between average negotiators and expert negotiators. Average negotiators usually arm themselves with a long list of arguments and counter-arguments, while expert negotiators devote at least one-third of their preparation time to look for potential common ground. Average negotiations throw out as many arguments as possible, but their weak points end up diluting the stronger ones. Expert negotiators focus on just a few strong arguments. Average negotiators focus on attacking their opponent's points and defending their own. Expert negotiators don't exclusively attack or defend. Instead, they remain curious and open to new options with questions like, does that mean you don't see any merit in our proposal at all? Average negotiators focus on asserting themselves. Expert negotiators open up a real dialogue by asking at least one question for every four statements. Expert negotiators also address feelings. For example, I'm disappointed with the direction that this discussion is taking. Do you feel equally frustrated? Hello, listener. Thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform and also our social media. We have prepared a graphic summary with the main ideas and teachings of this incredible bestseller. Click on the link book graphic in the description to have access to a material where we combine the perfect mental stimuli so that you know and understand the great intuitions of the author. Adam Grant studied the debate between Harish Natarajan and IBM's machine debater and ran experiments to test different ways to change people's minds. He found that persuasion is like dancing. You need to choreograph steps and adjust to your partner so both sides can move in sync. If you treat a debate like a battle, there can only be winners or losers. Even if you win a debate by overwhelming the other party with data and arguments, you're unlikely to have changed their minds, which is the ultimate goal of a debate. Start by recognizing common ground and signaling that you're receptive to alternatives. Acknowledge points of convergence, the good points made by the other party, and what you've learned from them. This makes you appear reasonable and relatable and motivates the other party to also consider your views. 
focus on a few compelling points instead of many disjointed points. In particular, choose an argument that people care about and a position that they're open to. Make sure your points fit well together. For example, Grant's team tested various messages and found that university alumni are the most likely to donate when they're presented with the message to do good by benefiting the students, faculty, and staff while feeling good about themselves. Explicitly offer the freedom of choice. People sometimes resist just because they don't want to be forced into a decision or to lose their sense of autonomy. Grant's students tried different ways to get season ticket holders to attend basketball games. Emails beseeching their attendance were much less effective than a simple email that asked, Are you planning to attend? When people make their own choices, they have real ownership of the decisions. So ask questions, let people draw their own conclusions, and remind them the final choice is up to them. To open up people's minds, it's also important to address the underlying biases and prejudices. Animosity can arise from the most trivial of differences. For example, preference for Pepsi versus Coke. Once we form a strong prejudice toward our rivals, we tend to do whatever's possible to undermine them and elevate our own group. For example, the fans of New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox have deeply entrenched prejudices about one another after a century-long rivalry. Grant and his students tried various ways to get the fans to rethink how they saw their rivals. They got people to focus on their common identity as baseball fans, think about their rivals' positive qualities, and humanize the rival camp through the story of one individual. In the end, the most effective approach was to get the fans to think about the arbitrariness of their animosity. That is, they may have been in the rival camp if they'd just been born to a different family. Since the cultural stereotypes are usually built on weak foundations, counterfactual thinking can be an effective way to reduce prejudice and stereotypes. Get people to reflect on how they'd think differently if they were in an alternate universe. For example, if they had been born black, Hispanic, Asian, or European. Once they realize how their circumstances shape their beliefs, they tend to become slightly more tolerant of the perceived differences. You can also create opportunities for intergroup interaction, which helps reduce imagined differences and prejudice 94% of the time. Earlier, we explained how people may resist an idea not because they disagree with it, but because they resent any attempt to influence or change them. The more they resist the idea, the more they'll double down against it. So don't try to convince someone to change. Instead, use motivational interviewing to help them find their own motivational change. Start by being genuinely curious to find out what the other person cares about. Ask open-ended questions that encourage them to share their thoughts. For example, how did you arrive at the decision to not get vaccinated? 
listen reflectively by acknowledging their views and concern without judging or trying to influence them. Once they feel agitated or defensive, they'll be less willing to share or rethink. Affirm their desire and ability to change, then give them the freedom to decide for themselves. Encourage change talk by asking questions about their need, desire, or ability to change. At suitable junctures of the conversation, summarize their reasons to change and ask about their plans or next steps. If possible, help them to achieve their goals. Great listeners don't just listen passively. They practice influential listening by asking good questions and responding skillfully. Increase your ratio of questions to statements. Instead of imposing your views or offering unsolicited advice, give them the space to think and make their own decisions. Ask how, not why. When you describe why you believe in something, you tend to reinforce your current views. When you try to explain how you know something, you may realize how little you truly know or how little data and analysis you have to support your opinion. Ask what evidence could change your mind, then present that evidence to persuade them on their own terms. If nothing will change their mind, then there may be no point in continuing the debate. Part 3. Collective Rethinking Now that you've learned how to rethink at an individual and interpersonal level, you're ready to start building lifelong learning communities. It's generally hard to find common ground if we adopt a binary view to see things from a black or white, either-or perspective. In reality, there's always more than two sides to any story. To overcome binary bias, highlight the complexities and ambiguities in a situation. Help people to see beyond two black or white alternatives to recognize the full spectrum of options and perspectives with varying shades of gray. People may also deny a problem if they don't like the proposed solution. When dealing with contentious issues like climate change or racial discrimination, it's better to present a range of solutions instead of preaching one right answer. Invite people to contemplate possible solutions with a headline like this, Will planting more trees really stop climate change? Scientists believe it's more complicated than that. Most solutions and perspectives come with limitations. When you acknowledge nuances, caveats, and contingencies, it piques your audience's interest and makes you appear more credible. For example, instead of declaring, Diversity is good, it's more persuasive to say, Diversity is good, but it's hard to achieve. Be cautious with use of some words like never or always. We also tend to get trapped in emotional simplicity. That is, we allow one to two dominant feelings to drive our responses. Learn to recognize the full range of your emotions. For example, you may be feeling uncertain, guilty, confused, angry, and afraid. This helps you to appreciate the complexity of the situation and your own responses. 
Likewise, we tend to oversimplify others' motives and viewpoints. Don't try to second-guess others' thoughts or feelings. Instead, test your hypotheses by inviting them to share their thoughts. Even if you disagree with their views, you can still convey your respect for their passion and conviction. This builds a foundation of trust and positive feelings upon which a real dialogue could take place. Based on his study of NASA and the Gates Foundation, Grant discovered two core ingredients required for a learning culture, psychological safety and accountability. Together, these allow people to feel safe enough to experiment, challenge one another, and seek excellence. Psychological safety allows people to challenge the status quo, take risks, and own up to mistakes without fear of being punished. This allows people to innovate and learn from their mistakes. However, leaders must first own up to their own flaws and weaknesses and demonstrate their willingness to embrace feedback. Only then will the other team members start to do the same. Psychological safety alone isn't enough. To prevent complacency, you also need process accountability where people actively consider different options as part of their decision-making process and will speak up if they believe a decision isn't in the organization's best interest. Good processes should be built on deep thinking and rethinking. Separate the initial decision-makers from the final decision evaluators. Do away with best practices which assume that you already know the best approach. Instead, seek out better practices and use a rethinking scorecard to evaluate your processes and outcomes. Even when you've achieved good results, continue to experiment with ways to improve. The best time to develop mental agility is during childhood, since children are naturally malleable. Teachers and parents can focus more on developing critical, productive thinking in children instead of merely teaching them to get the right answer. After all, school grades often don't predict work performance. Specifically, teach kids to question information instead of merely consuming it and to consider the source and reliability of the information. Don't rely solely on passive learning, such as lectures, You'll learn more through active learning, that is, when you figure out the answers yourself through group problem-solving, tutorials, and self-tests. One of the best ways to learn is to teach, so get students to design and teach part of their classes. Encourage kids to create different versions of a story or drawing, seek feedback, and iteratively improve their drafts and ideas. When they face a complex problem, encourage them to embrace the natural sense of confusion as they explore different possibilities and hypotheses. Don't jump in and try to offer a solution right away. Stop asking, what do you want to be when you grow up? This sends the wrong message that they can only be one thing, that their work defines their identity, and they'll stop changing once they reach adulthood. In reality, they can do anything they're good at, so long as there's a demand for it. 
We've just outlined numerous ideas you can use to start rethinking at an individual, interpersonal, and community level. In the book, Grant uses many stories, case studies, and diagrams to explain the key concepts and insights about rethinking. If you've enjoyed the ideas in this summary, do get a copy of the book or visit adamgrant.net for more details and resources. We hope you've enjoyed this book summary presentation of Think Again by Adam Grant, read by Larry G. Jones. Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes.